0: Well, before we begin our Torah study tonight, I want to pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu, melech ha'olam, asher b'mitzvotav Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about what I think is an important idea, it's the kind of fear that is useful and how to use fear for godly purposes so that you can be strong and you can be prepared for the rapidly changing situations and for the disruptions that are increasing, that are disrupting our normal lives and our plans. And this week's Torah portion is where I wanna start. It's actually a study in contrast, and I want to I want to show you something, how a given skill or a given ability can be used for good, or it could be used for evil, and I want to focus on a particular case. It's the ability to create metalwork and metal sculpture, and then we'll draw some conclusions from that, and then we'll move to the next idea. So. Twice in this week's Torah portion, we, we see examples of artistic and creative design and craft, the, the technical creation of, of artwork, and then skills in foundry and metallurgy, in metalwork, the smelting and the casting of metal. And so we're going to look at two different cases. The first case is in Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 1. And if you have a Bible, please turn there. If you have a Bible, by the way, I love to see people with Bibles. Who's got a real Bible? Wow, what a great group of people. Digital Bibles count as real Bibles, by the way. We're gonna count those. Exodus 31, starting in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, I have singled out Bezalel, the son of Uri Ben Hur. Ordi, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, and knowledge concerning every kind of artisanry. Now, pay attention to verse 4. He's a master of design in gold, silver, and bronze. But it doesn't stop there. He can cut precious stones to be set. So, I hope Barton, this is one of your favorite characters in the Bible. He's also a master of wood carving and every other craft. Now, let's go to the next chapter, Exodus 32, first few verses as well. We'll start in verse 1. And we won't look too much into the, the background, but Moses has gone up to the mountain and the people are tired of waiting for him. When the people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said to him, I like this translation, get busy and make gods for us to go ahead of us because this Moses, the man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Are you out of your minds? That's what he should have said. That's not what he said. He said, have your wives, your sons, your daughters strip off their gold earrings and bring them to me. The people stripped off their gold earrings and brought them to Aaron, and he received what they gave him, melted it down, and made it in the shape of a calf. And they all said, Israel, here's your God. Here's your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So think about it. The, the first case and the second case, they both are, are using skills and abilities to do metal sculpture, metal casting, and to make something that has spiritual qualities and, and importance. The first case, Bezalel will be creating the furnishings of the tabernacle. In the second case, Aaron is creating the golden calf, which is one of the most famous idols, I think, in history. Regarding skills and abilities, the first case, the skills, the abilities are used in service to God. And in the second case, they're used in service, in spiritual service, but not to the Lord. In spiritual service to other spiritual powers and to other spiritual dynamics. So think about that. I mean, is that clear enough? Basically, similar abilities, the ability to work with metal, similar competency to make something that is um, beautiful and skillful. They're both doing this. One is getting an assignment from the Lord and doing something that's going to be beautiful and spiritually important and it's desired by the Lord. The other is using their abilities but not for the purposes of the Lord. It's a false representation of God. Both are doing spiritual things. Both are doing artistic things. One is good, one is bad. So you can't say that metal work is bad. You can't say gold is bad. You can't say being creative is bad. It's what you do with what you've got that's really important. Now with that in mind, that's sort of like a framework for how I want to explore an idea. I want to talk to you about fear. How many people have noticed that fear is on the increase right now? Anybody? I wanna talk to you about fear and how to make good use of it. Because fear is not always a bad thing. In fact, it can be very useful. Now, during this uh, coronavirus pandemic, I, I started by thinking that I didn't want to be motivated by fear. How many of you can agree with that? I don't want to be moved by fear, but I do want to be motivated by wisdom and by caution. Yeah, and we have a lot of verses we can quote, right? God has given us a spirit of fear. I mean, there are all sorts of things that can give you the impression that all fear is not good that all fear is bad, that all fear will get in the way of you and your life of faith. You can have that impression. Now last night I was watching the TV news and they were taking the exact same approach here. And they were saying something like, no fear, only the facts. It was understandable but it made me think that there's another angle to this and I wanted to approach it with a different angle and I I started asking this question. What kind of fear is useful and what kind of fear is not? Instead of saying, I don't want to be afraid at all, I started saying, well, what kind of fear do I want to consider a good fear, a useful fear, and what fear is not? And so what I want to do tonight is I want to consider the fear that is useful. And we can start with an obvious example. I think that most believers would quickly recognize it's this, the fear of the Lord. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? So this is the first example. I think everyone is, is familiar with that. And if someone would tell you, you know, the fear of the Lord, it's fear, it couldn't be good you'd know that's not true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now here's a second example of, that I wanna look at, fear that leads us to prepare. Fear that gets our attention because it recognizes a true danger. And that kind of fear is useful when it leads us to prepare, to get ready for something. In fact, it may give us extra power to do everything that's required. There are times when people have, like, machismo. I'm gonna have a macho attitude. You know, I'm not afraid of anything. That's not necessarily useful. It can be boastful, it can actually be self-destructive. But the fear that helps us prepare, you see, that's a useful fear. When we realize, oh, something's going to happen, or could, could happen, and we need to prepare for it so that we minimize the harm. We minimize the negative effects that it has in us. In fact, Brian Stone was encouraging me today from Proverbs 31, which talks about the wise woman. And one of the things it says is that the wise woman isn't afraid when the snow blizzard comes because she's ready and her family has the right clothes to wear. She got ready in advance. Now, there's a kind of fear that doesn't get ready and you know we want to minimize that we want to embrace the idea that getting ready is a godly thing preparing for something is a godly thing how many of you believe that it was a good idea for noah to prepare yeah it took a long time right are you grateful he did I am, and I'll tell you why. I would not exist, apparently. But not only that, you would not exist. But even if I did exist and you didn't, it would be a really weird world. I'm living in a world that is filled with people because Noah prepared, right? Now, what if he said, well, I'm just trusting the Lord? Well, that would... Mean he should prepare. Why? The Lord told him to prepare, right? So if he came up with this strange theology, I'm going to trust the Lord and not prepare, it would be disobedience, it would be foolishness, it would be unwise, it wouldn't be faith, it would be trusting in his own imagination. So the fear that leads us to prepare, that's good fear. Third example. Fear that mixes with caution and wisdom. And this kind of fear protects us because it keeps us careful in the face of danger and threat. Mountain climbers, rock climbers, know that it's important to have this kind of fear. They need to harness this fear people in the military, people in special ops, people who, who deal with um, police work, for instance. They embrace this kind of fear because it keeps them careful. It causes them to um, recognize that a situation has potential for being dangerous and they need to be cautious and they need to exercise wisdom. It protects them from mistakes and carelessness that can have catastrophic and even fatal consequences. Now, uh, here's the fourth and the last example of useful fear. And this one may take a little bit of explanation more so than the others. It's the fear that reduces anxiety and worry in us. Now, it's an interesting idea But anxiety and worry are are generalized. Anxiety and worry can can often be associated with uncertainty and with a sense of powerlessness. Uncertainty, I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what to do. But anxiety and worry can actually, they can have this very negative effect on the way we feel and the way we think, because it's possible to have useful fear and still have shalom. Did you know that? But when you have anxiety and worry, you don't have the shalom of God. In fact, many people can just get so filled with anxiety and so filled with worry that they enter into a state of panic, and it's internal, but it affects their ability to even have rational connected thoughts. They're worried about what could happen, but they can't really tell you specifically what they're worried about that could happen. In fact, anxiety and worry can be quite vague and generalized. Have you ever been in that condition where you're worried, but you keep looping? You know, it's like you have a thought, and you feel bad, and then you have it again and you feel bad. Things like this are often caused by or associated with uncertainty and a feeling of powerlessness, and we are in a time where things are uncertain. How many people are pretty sure things are uncertain? How many people are absolutely sure they're uncertain? That's me. I am absolutely sure that some things are uncertain. But useful fear actually reduces anxiety and worry. It helps us prepare. It helps us move forward with caution and wisdom. It keeps us alert. It gives us power. And here's one of the ways it works. When we start naming the concrete things that we are concerned about and even afraid that will happen or that might happen, and then we begin to think, Okay, but I know what to do in that situation. That causes the worry and the anxiety to go down. It actually works powerfully. If you're ever with someone who's filled with anxiety and worry, and you can help them name the things that they're really worried about and anxious about, and carefully describe what they think will happen, or is likely to happen, and to even make a list. These are all the things that we're concerned about. This this is what I'm really concerned about. If they can make a list, even if it's a long list, even if it's a list of things that um, is unlikely to happen too, you know what, their fear will get healthy and they won't just be torn up by the anxiety and the worry the anxiety and worry will get smaller and smaller. Have you ever been in, in a situation where you're just, you feel bad, you feel awful, you feel so uncertain, you don't know what to do, and then you have a chance to take counsel with someone who can help you and break things down? Well, let's look at this. Well, what can we do? Let's look at our options, and then they help you with your options and so forth by being specific in its focus and recognizing concrete threats and dangers and genuine concerns, it actually can neutralize the anxiety and the worry associated with uncertainty. When people tell me something like this, I'm so terrified, I ask this question, what are you terrified about? Let's talk about it. Rather than say, don't be terrified, they probably should be afraid of something What? Let's talk about that. Let's get really clear. I'm terrified this will happen, or that might happen. Okay, so if that happens, what are you gonna do? What are your options? Let's talk about it. What would be good to do? What do you have the resources to? What do you have the experience for? Who can help you? When you start working on it like that, rather than telling people, don't be afraid, they can actually start using their fear in a very positive way. It neutralizes the anxiety. And by helping us prepare and implement, these are two things. Let's say these two words together because they're very important. Prepare and implement. Yeah, these two, these two go together because if you don't have a plan but you just start doing stuff, what's the likelihood that you're going to do the right stuff? Not so, not so great, it's small. Now, what if you make great plans, but you implement nothing? It doesn't help either. It's not the planning process by itself, nor is it the action process. It's uniting the two together that actually helps us. Plan after you prepare. I mean, sometimes you have to use the guided missile approach. Do you know what that is? Ready, fire, aim. But you do that when you can keep aiming and you can retarget or find the target along the way. So these are examples of four kinds of fear that can become useful to us. And I want you to understand that you also can have conversations like this with people around you who are afraid. Instead of telling them don't be afraid, Explore their fear in a healthy way, in a concrete way, that connects to plans, preparation, implementation, and action. Help them make those connections. And you know what you'll find? That a lot of their anxiety dissipates. A lot of their anxiety just goes away. It simply becomes smaller. Now the reason I'm talking to you about this is because we're in a really strange environment right now. Now, on one hand, it's similar to being in that place where you think a hurricane is coming, right? How many think it's, it's sort of familiar emotionally and in some of the preparations that we need to do? Of course, there are differences, but um, anybody worried about whether the economy's gonna have troubles or not? You ought to be. It's why? Because it's going through tumult. Anyone worried about the health of vulnerable family and friends? It makes sense to be concerned. But don't just get stuck in the worry. Turn it into something that's useful. And here's a simple step. You start with the fear of the Lord. And how do you do this? You take every fear that you have and you say, Lord, I'm gonna cast the anxieties on you because I trust you. Even in dangerous situations, I trust you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I trust you. And I'm gonna keep looking to you because you have given the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. You've given your word to lead us. And so we're not going to be unequipped and we're not going to just totally fail if we put our trust in you. We're going to have some success. How many of you know that the idea of quarantine is actually in the scriptures? Oh, it is. So if anybody, tells, if anybody quotes you all the scriptures about not being afraid of anything, say, well, that's good. What do you think about the scriptures about quarantining? Hmm. How about that? Brian Stone can give you a history lesson on how washing hands helped save the Jewish people during plagues in the Middle Ages. Because they washed their hands. Very, many fewer Jewish people died only because they washed their hands. Now how many have seen on TV that you're supposed to wash your hands. A lot these days. I was in pursuit of sanitizing gel yesterday. Any good luck, yeah. Okay, I thought I had good luck because I did a Google search, my shopping app said it was at the Walmart just down the street, and that there was, I even knew the aisle number to go to and I went there, and the shelves were empty. <laughs> and I just looked at. I thought, I didn't think it was gonna be here. But you know what? I put some effort into it. But I didn't stop at that moment and say, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. I don't have, I don't have Purell, I don't have Gojo. How many of you know what Gojo is? Gojo is the company that owns Purell, but I think. I don't have that stuff. Well, actually, I don't like that stuff. I'd much rather prefer to uh, wash my hands. And I'm a pretty good hand washer, and I'll tell you why. I wore contacts for years. And in order to avoid infection, I washed my hands really well. And I never got infections because I did it well. Yeah, fingertips, yeah. A lot of my friends are saying, I, can, I cannot sing happy birthday two times. <laughs> it's just too hard. To wash for 20 seconds is like unbearable. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're going to wash every digit and soap it up pretty good and do your fingers like this, you don't have to count. It'll take the time. And if you know, oh, I might put this finger in my eye, and it needs to be clean, you'll do a good job. Somebody said, here's how to do it. Just act like you got your hands on jalapenos or habaneros, and you know it, and you're about to touch your eyeballs. It's like, what are you going to do? You will have no problem washing for 20 seconds. But, but I saw Tony Fauci say, just use hot water and soap in 20 seconds. Like, just do a good job. Wash your hands. Tell the person next to you, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your, wash your hands a lot. Wash your hands often. So instead of just giving in to fear, take some action. If you don't have one kind of resource, find another. There are a lot of things you can do to keep yourself uh, clean as best you can. Now, I, I, I wanna tell you, I am not from the CDC. But I do value the CDC input. I am not a doctor, though I consult doctors to find out what to do and to get their opinions and impressions. In, in many regards, I have no idea what to do based on natural ability and experience, but I know one thing. I know that I'm called to be a shepherd of the house of Israel. I know that. And I know what Jeremiah 23 teaches us. Rabbi Uri and I covered this um, when we do every welcome and membership class. We cover the vision of Jeremiah 23. And it's a vision that includes flocks that are well taken care of with shepherds. And that's how we understand ourselves. We're called by God to be shepherds of the flock that he has entrusted to us. And so Jeremiah 23 teaches us that that God's shepherds are called to gather, and shepherds are called to tend, and that includes feeding and guiding and protecting. And who is the unworthy shepherd according to Jeremiah 23? He's the one who doesn't do those things, he scatters. Well, what does it mean to scatter as a shepherd? I think what it means is he doesn't bring the sheep back into the safety of the sheepfold. He just lets them wander. Now, it's okay to wander during the day when they're grazing under the watchful care of the shepherd, but if the shepherd's going to sleep, he needs to do something, right? Bring them into the sheepfold, close the gate, keep them safe, and then have enough alertness that if a predator comes, he can do something about it, right? He may need a dog or two for that purpose. The unworthy shepherd doesn't use the sheepfold and lets the sheep be devoured and destroyed. So I can tell you what our heart is. When, when we're talking together, whether it's in our safety and security team meetings, or whether we're talking together as rabbis and rabbits and as, uh, as elders, our heart really is for you to be safe. Our heart is that you would be well cared for and part of the flock even during time of disruption. And what we're thinking about, what's really on our mind, is how to stay connected during the coming time of disruption. Now, I'm, I talked to a few rabbis last week and even earlier this week who didn't think that disruption was actually going to affect them. And I thought, okay, we'll see what tomorrow brings. And now some of the things that people thought were crazy, a little wacky, you know, like elbow bumping, um, now it's becoming like one of the standard options for everybody. Of course, there's the question, do you cough into one elbow and elbow bump with the other one? Or, you know, how do do you do this if you're not going to cough into your hands and so forth? Well, you'll figure those things out. And who was it? Um, Bibi Netanyahu, who was suggesting that we could combine an old Chinese custom. You know, bringing the hands together, bowing, and adding shalom. Like, shalom. (laughs) And I have one rabbi friend who said, you know what? I think we should use... What's the name of that? Namaste. Yeah, yeah, that approach. He said, I think we should use that because I think the Chinese have been dealing with these viruses for centuries. (laughs) And they know how to greet each other. (laughs) But I also like the Wuhan greeting with the feet. You know, there are several ways of doing it. You'll find a way. But here's what we really want to make sure. We want to make sure that we can stay connected when we can't gather like this. Because it could come to that quickly. And we're not going to get notice. We'll simply get word of the decision. So it's already happened in several states where Messianic congregations, the, they, like others, were told, you can't meet. And that's, that's the way it is. In some places, there are restrictions, like if, if you have 500 people, it's too much. We'll be fine if that's the case. In some places, they're saying 10 or 20 people is the limit. In which case, you know, we will use a whole other approach. But it's also possible that there would be a 100-person limit, in which case, you know, we're thinking, What if some of the people who come on Saturday would just move to Friday nights, especially the people without young kids, and they could balance things out. We could have people on Saturday and people on Friday, and we could sort of make it work. So we're thinking like that. Now, one of the things we also wanna make sure is that you can receive messages from us via text and email. And so tonight, during the service, I sent out a text to everybody who has given us your text numbers and they're in our official records for you. Now I might have your number personally, but if it's not in the official record, we won't be able to communicate with you when we need to communicate with a whole group of people. So all you have to do right now is look at your phone and see, did you get a text from me? Okay, I also sent an email you. And you can check if you got one or the other. How many of you got a text? You can find your text. One person? No, it's not for praying. No, it's um, what's the name of it? Special test. test. You got an email. How many got an email? Okay, more got an email. We want to be able to use both tools if we can. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Take uh, the welcome card from the seat back in front of you. And if you got both an email and a text, you don't have to do anything. If you got only one or the other, give us what we didn't get. If you didn't get a text, give us your text number. If you didn't get an email, give us your email address. And if you didn't give either, give us both. Now, if you don't use either of them, then here's what's going to happen. We'll have difficulty communicating to you when there's urgency and we need to get a quick word out to you. It won't be impossible. It's just difficult. And so we're going to need help from you for that. Now, we're also ask ministry leaders to connect with you sometimes via text or email. And here's, here's how you know if they have your text or email. If you're on a ministry roster and you're hearing from your ministry leader about your schedule, they know who you are and how to get a hold of you. So then you're good. And we're gonna ask all ministry leaders to give us a copy of all your contact information. So we got like double, you know, double sources as well. Now, next thing that we're thinking about is how can we live stream services so that if we can't attend all together, how can we still do something? And we got a lot of ideas for it. Our, our first idea is to try to use Facebook Live. And we're doing an experiment tonight with that. And Rabbi Yuri and I are recording things tonight. And then we're going to try to post it. And we're going to see, can we do it? And I know it can be done because people do it, but can we do it? And we're trying um, some experiments. And in fact, this message will go out on Facebook Live if we're successful, or it's on already. It's on already, hallelujah. Okay, so we're going to use Facebook Live. Now, what if you hate Facebook? That's okay. You can still hate Facebook. We just need you to know this is the tool we're using and to use it. We found out a way that you don't have to sign up for Facebook, we can send you a link to um, a video, but you may get it after the fact, rather than, um, rather than immediately, or quickly. So, we'll tell you more about that, but how many, just let me just survey, how many of you do use Facebook in some way, shape, or form? Okay, how many hate Facebook in, okay, how many are morally repulsed by, no nah, that was a setup, yeah. But it's a tool. It's simply a tool that can be used for good or for evil. My poor wife, who does not have a Facebook account and does not want one, said, I do not want to get sucked into that world. And I said, you'll need to not get sucked in. You'll need to not get sucked in. Make up a, get a new Gmail address with a fake name and open up an account for one purpose for that and use it on a device you don't ever use for any other purpose. You know, like your oldest computer or phone or whatever that has no capabilities, just find a way. And the reason we're asking you to do this is so we can stay connected. That's the goal. Because there's there is a very good chance <clears throat> that there'll be disruption that will last, like it's lasting in Italy or in China. It could be 10 weeks, could be less, could be more. Um, 10 weeks of disruption. And we just want to be prepared. I asked Eric Painter about work and what the word is, and he said, well, they had a plan for um, setting up some virtual meetings and remote work that was gonna be next week, but they moved it to today. Is that right? And then they had that meeting, they had the virtual meeting, and then they said, okay, now now we're doing it. It's like, you're now in the virtual world. My grandson, He's at Davidson College, and the first word, it was, it was three days ago, they said, this is the very safest and best place for these students to be. Yesterday, they said, you've got till Wednesday to go home. And everything changed. Schools are changing rapidly, you know that. So we're, we're really trying to get ready for everything. And one of the things we want to be able to do is have live worship together, prayer together, and study together and communication together where there can actually be some dialogue. And so that's why we're choosing this particular tool. Now here's some other important details about the plans. The um, Shalom Center will be closed as of now. And we'll reopen it when this whole thing finishes up and we'll keep it close not only for this weekend we were going to do that as our test but really having looked at what does it take to keep it clean and to meet cdc levels for safe food handling during this time it's it's too much That has been postponed and it will be rescheduled when this coronavirus thing um, passes so in general we're trying to follow cdc guidelines and not allowing people with cold or flu symptoms to attend services during this period but this may be the last weekend it's possible this is the last weekend that we have to deal with that because we may not be together but if we are, let me just say to you, it's, a, it's the CDC warning, if you have cold or flu symptoms, don't come into what's called congregate settings. Don't go to a movie theater, don't go to restaurants, don't go to work, don't go to school, because those are places where you could spread whatever it is you've got. And you know what the basic strategy, does everybody understand the basic strategy? Right now, it's slow things down, slow the um, the infection rate down for one particular reason, so we don't um, overstress our healthcare system, so we don't have this terrible condition where there are too many sick people and not enough respirators, not enough doctors, and then they have to make decisions like on the battlefield who will live and who will die it's a terrible thing we do not want to put the medical professionals in that position we don't want to put our families in that position if we can slow things down then it can stay manageable during this time plus who knows maybe the israeli vaccine will come out in time how many are praying about that one i am yeah so you know, don't shake hands, don't hug, don't kiss. We're trying to disinfect services. We've suspended the Torah processional tradition of touching and kissing the Torah. A few and then you all. And I thought, I like that. Idea. Now, years or older to stay at home and not attend if you have chronic illness or compromised immune systems. If you've been subject to repeated or unresolved acute health issues. If you've been battling serious health issues, some of the named ones are diabetes, heart disease, cancer, respiratory issues. And those who have been in close contact or live with anyone who's traveled, will need to stay out of congregational gatherings for 14 days from the time of their last um, contact um, or their arrival back in the States. And that 14-day period seems to be a safe, self-quarantine number. Now, personally, Sandy and I have agreed she won't attend any events or services until her post-bronchitis cough and fatigue have ended and her immune system is well-functioning. She's doing better. How many are dealing with allergies right now with all the pollen? Someone told me they were at the store today, and someone with an allergy just went, <coughs> just like that. And everyone <laughs> stepped back, People just, you know, like, hmm, six feet's a good idea. I think I'll go for 12, yeah. Now, some thoughts on giving. We want to encourage you to continue to bring your tithes and offerings, even during this time of disruption. And our online platforms, Giving Fire and PayPal, have been functioning well for years. So if you continue to use those, they should work perfectly. You can also use all the other ways, bank pay services um, or sending checks by mail. It may be a little bit harder if you normally contribute cash to figure out how to get cash to us because we don't know what hours we'll be keeping. We don't want you to send cash in the mail and things like that. So this by us all remaining steady, we can continue to serve together and keep the community functioning and healthy during this time. Now, if you're negatively impacted by the disruption, if you lose your job, if your hours are cut back, if your business is suffering, please contact Rabbi Uri and me. Please let us know. So that we can pray with you, we can stand with you through such a challenge and help you find um, how to cope and solutions during this time. Having said all of, all of that, I'm trying to put into practice this idea of useful fear. You know, using the gifts and talents that God has given us, and even our personalities and our reactions, using them for good purposes rather than for bad purposes. Does it encourage you that we're thinking about this stuff and how to, how to be prepared? I, I, ho- I hope it does. The only people I think who aren't encouraged by that are the people who suffer from a spiritual ailment called denial or super-spirituality or hyper-faith. You know, well, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. I don't need to do any of that. I won't tell you the thoughts that that evokes in me because they're generally not speakable. <laughs> but I don't think that's true spirituality. I, I don't think it's, it's wisdom, and I know this, that um, we want everyone to survive, we want everyone to thrive, and that requires planning and preparation. Let me remind you of one thing if you forget it. This is just a season. We're going to get through this. We'll get through this together, and we're all together in this. And remember two things. Number one, God is with us. Right? God is with us. We are not alone. And remember this, we're a mishpocha. We're not alone. These are important. And for that reason, we can say, chazak: Be strong if you're sitting near anybody, tell them, Chazak. Be strong. Chazak. Be strong. Stay connected with us. We'll stay connected with you. And let's be ready for... Some hafuch moments where God uses uh, even challenging and difficult circumstances, turns them upside down to make them right side up, and does incredible things. God will reveal himself to us, and he will do great things so that we can serve him and we can serve each other during this season. And I think when we get through this, we will say, he made us stronger, and he used us, he built us, our faith, and he caused us to more deeply appreciate his faithfulness and his love. So don't give in to that worry and anxiety that just generalizes. Name that fear. It's not, a, it's not like a game show. But know what you're afraid of, use it for good, Be prepared, talk it through, get good plans, consult, do all the things that the scripture talks about that have to do with wisdom and preparation. And you know what? Stay connected and we will do well. So that's the word that we have for you. This is in our hearts and I hope it will be in your hearts and you will pass it on to other people when when you see that they're anxious and worried and afraid and don't know what to do. Can you say amen? Amen. To that and say, Lord, use me to help bring shalom to people that need it. Use me, Lord, to help show your faithfulness to people that are open in need. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? You can, yeah, and and please do not stand near anybody. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Husbands and wives, you know what to do. You do what you like. Um, <laughs> you know. Normally we say, if you're standing alone, please move so that you're with somebody. If you're standing together, please move. <laughs> Keep a little distance. <laughs> Pnavelacha vaya semlacha shalom Amen Shabbat Shalom everyone